Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Cleaning up some of the issues that we've had over the, not only over the last four years, but over the last 15 or 20, maybe 30 years about the rules yeah, it comes down to the votes. And I, I think what we're working toward is convincing our colleagues that to have this co-equal branch of government that's more transparent and, and independent is the way to go. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Alderman Scott Wagesback, chairman of the City Council's Finance Committee and one of the prime movers behind the City Council's Declaration of Independence. That is the unprecedented decision by Chicago aldermen to reorganize themselves and change the rules and approve a new lineup of committee chairs before the new mayor and the new council can even be sworn in. Alderman Wagesback, thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me today. Two things have happened uh, in the last few minutes, even. First of all, First Deputy and Acting Police Superintendent Eric Carter has announced that he is leaving on the very same day that Brandon Johnson and the new city council will be sworn in. Are you surprised by that? Do you think it has anything at all to do with the mayhem downtown last weekend? Uh, It might have something to do with that, but I was expecting him, uh, from my understanding, to leave at some point in the next few weeks. So uh, it's not too big of a surprise to me. Is it a loss? Is it the beginning of a a bigger exodus of police officers, as predicted by the very fiery and outspoken and controversial president of the FOP, if Brandon Johnson were elected mayor? No, I don't think officers are leaving because of, of his comments. I think they are leaving because many of them have reached the retirement age. Uh, we know that there's going to be attrition there. You know, as we bring in new officers, hopefully uh, at a much speedier pace um, to keep up with those retirements, um, I, I see some of the leadership having to move on. I see um, – some of the officers on patrol having to move on, but, you know, hopefully we can replace those people with um, experienced officers who can take up the helm uh, upon their departure. Is Eric Carter a loss or is he a kind of a good ridden situation? Well, you know, I'd leave that up to the mayor and how he's going to handle that. But uh, I know a lot of aldermen were upset about his approach to what happened this past weekend. And I think they made themselves very clear that they needed to see leadership um, and one person in charge as opposed to what they assumed were too many cooks in the kitchen. But, uh, you know, that comes from, uh, I think, making sure that you have a clear chain of command uh, has to be in place all the time. And I I know that we have good leaders within the department and I'd really like to see them uh, put in a place where they can prosper and make sure that downtown and all of our neighborhoods are well taken care of. 
During the height of the mayhem, we heard reports that Brian McDermott, the chief of patrol, formerly chief of operations, or whatever his title is nowadays, got into a screaming match with Carter and said, uh, I think Carter called McDermott and said, what the hell's going on? And and uh, McDermott yelled back at him and said, this is these are the people that you promoted and put in place. When you have a finger-pointing situation in the height of a, a devastating situation that was so embarrassing to Chicago, right after Chicago was awarded the Democratic National Convention and whatever message that will send to the delegates who are coming here, what does that say about a police department when you have that going on? Well, I think uh, the first thing they need to do is set aside their differences quickly and establish that chain of command again. And if one person or two people are uh, not keeping pace and making mistakes, then um, you know the police department works like many other institutions in law enforcement or the military. They can easily be moved aside for the time being until they can figure out who can manage the situation. And I think you know, if Carter's leaving, um, the mayor's going to have his hands full trying to figure out who the next superintendent will be. But we need somebody who's going to work with all the communities, not just worry about downtown, and then also be able to communicate with other elected officials and uh, certainly the uh, officers on foot patrol who are doing the heavy lift. Um, they have to believe in the person that's at, top, at the top, and that that person um, in turn has to believe in what they're doing. So. Uh, the timeline for this is very short and with Carter leaving, they're going to have to fill those shoes very quickly. Yeah. He's probably got to choose an acting superintendent even before the three names come to him from the civilian review panel. That's now uh, making its selections. So who should it be? Because we've seen a great brain drain and people leaving a lot of the top brass have gone because they didn't want to work for David Brown. Yeah, that could be the case at the deputy level, but we really have a lot of great commanders, um, people who've, I think, uh, made their way up to the top um, through different means, but also have shown the ability to lead in the districts and probably in the in the areas, different parts of the city, the areas that they are split up into two. So we don't have to just look to downtown and say who is standing around Eric Carter or David Brown. We can look to the other parts of the city where we've had great officers in, in leadership positions. Now, I, I think, in my opinion, that we need to continue to train all of these officers in leadership positions. You know, over the years, I've heard that um, there wasn't much in terms of leadership training, and I think we need to invest in that. So, you know, as much as we want to invest in crisis intervention training for every officer and make sure that they're learning um, how to deal with the different scenarios that have become more prevalent over the years, so does our uh, leadership need to make sure that they're continually trained much in the same way as, say, a lawyer or a CPA or anybody who has to have annual training to keep up with the changes in their profession. So do you have any names in mind for someone who could step in for Carter at this point until the permanent superintendent is chosen? Um, I don't. uh, I believe, you know, uh, uh, McDermott, uh, from my understanding, has always been a, a good leader. But, you know, again, I think you could look at a lot of the commanders within the district and different districts and 
um, without naming names. I, I know that there's a, a good group of people within that leadership um, rank that could do the job. Mayor-elect Johnson has also chosen City Hall lifer Rich Guidas, the former director of the Office of Emergency Management and Communications, to be his chief of staff. What message does that send? Is it reassuring to you? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think there was a lot of question about who was going to help on the governing side of things as opposed to just the political side. And a lot of uh, people had questions about who the mayor-elect could bring in that could help manage, um, at least in the time being, this transition. And we have groups like the CCA that uh, that do a lot of that work. I'm not sure if they were at the table, but I think having somebody like Rich Guidas is going to be helpful. Um, I've worked with him on many different issues of public safety uh, while he was at OEMC on parades and special events and um, both on the north side and downtown and throughout other neighborhoods. And I've, I find him to be a very open and honest person. Um, and he's a very capable person, too. Uh, so I think it behooves the mayor to, you know, bring somebody in like that where there isn't much experience um, and, and have somebody with his credentials at the table. And especially for someone who has no executive government experience as Johnson. Yeah, there's a there's a huge difference from, you know, being uh, on the activism side or a lobbyist um, and a commissioner and then jumping up to the mayoral level. And we've seen that with, um, you know, Mayor Lightfoot. I think um, Rahm Emanuel had some experience at the D.C. level, but it also took time to translate into being mayor. And I, I would say that's probably the same for anybody who steps into the position of a mayor of any large city. Um, having good background uh, in governing at the city level so you understand the day-to-day operations, that is huge. That's a huge undertaking. So I think Rich Guidas would be good there. He obviously had to communicate through OEMC to all the different departments in in times of crisis. Um, And I think, you know, having an actual experienced person there to deal with all the issues that, you might not know about or understand uh, is going to be very helpful. Mayor-elect Johnson and his city council allies are now working behind the scenes to put the new mayor's stamp on the city council reorganization that you passed. I wrote this week that you are among a handful of chairmen on the potential shop chopping block as Johnson seeks to put more of his allies in positions of power. The others are aviation chair Matt O'Shea, licensed chair Emma Mitz, Marty Quinn, the chair of the newly created Committee on Executive Appointments, and Deb Silverstein, the chairman of the newly created Committee on Building Standards. What is going on behind the scenes, Scott? What have you been told? I know that uh, you are at the very least getting calls from some of your fellow members on the chopping block. What's going on? Well, I'm definitely getting calls and having conversations one-on-one in person or on the phone with a lot of my colleagues, um, many who've been in government for a long time, or even some of the new people that, as you know, we had an orientation for all the new members last week. And uh, just wondering uh, what the proposed rule changes are, what the proposal is for the city council to establish independence. Um, 
you know, as, as well as many of the good government organizations, they've complained about uh, decades of mayoral uh, control, total mayoral control over the council. And everybody's been asking for us to create an independent council. And it was really very difficult to do or even attempt to do over my time in office um, and those who've been around even longer. So the conversations were beginning well before the mayor elect was, um, you know, voted in. So uh, we were looking at doing this uh, to make sure that we weren't looking at one individual person that would become mayor. We were doing it in advance to create that independence, no matter who was elected. Um, we wanted to minimize the influence over basic council deliberations and have more transparency in the way we do business. And this is no different than any other city in the United States or any other municipality, whether it's big, medium, large, some of the large cities. Um, those councils, those um, trustees, they have that independence to be a co-equal branch of government with uh, their mayors or their city managers, whoever they might be. And all we were trying to do and all we are going to succeed in doing is, is creating that uh, independence and, and really providing the council members with the ability to, um, you know, hopefully decide what they want to do with the council um, on their own and vote their own conscience and not have to worry about um, maybe what other people might be pushing them to do. So I've, I haven't spoken to anybody from the administ the new administration on this. Um, there hasn't been any outreach in terms of that. So uh, we've just been focused on working with our colleagues. So is Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa behind this? Does budget chair Pat Dowell, who endorsed Brandon Johnson before February 28th, does she want your job? What's going on? Well, both of them have been at the table. Uh, they've both um, been there from the beginning. They both, in, I would say, endorsed the process. Um, they had some differences about how the process went about. And, um, you know, I've talked to different people in different organizations about how we can improve that process four years from now and eight years from now. Seeing as how this is the first time anybody's ever done it, I'm sure, you know, the process that I, I put together with some colleagues was, had some hiccups in it. But um, overall, I think it's worked out. Every member that um, has wanted to, and I think there's only uh, maybe one or two that haven't um, fully committed to it, have put in their preferences for their committees. And you know how it works. I mean, typically uh, on the first day of the new term, which would be in May, um, not the inauguration, but that first meeting in May, you're handed a sheet that says, here's your committees and here's um, uh, the choices that you have, which is there is no choice. Um, this is what you're going to be on. And the way we've set it up is uh, to ask everybody what their preferences are, and we will try to slot them into those preferred committees. Um, and I think we're going to be able to do that for the first time ever. So uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa and Pat Dowell and, and other members, whether they supported um, Johnson or Vallis or anybody else, have all been at the table and participating. So um, at least in terms of the council, 
there's been a pretty broad coalition of people sitting down and talking this through. So if Brandon Johnson wants key people of his in these positions and he wants you to step aside or any of these other chairs to step aside, is that going to happen or is he barking up the wrong tree with this and, and, and bucking for a fight that maybe he would lose? Well, I guess that would just completely undermine the independent council effort and the co-equal branch of government. So does he have the votes to do this? Uh, I know that we have the votes right now, as we had the votes for passing the uh, initial group of chairs, which obviously uh, could change. But um, you know, the, other sec- the second part of this was to have the rules tightened up, and everybody was in agreement on that, too. Um, you know, the majority of people were in agreement about tightening up the rules and making sure there's more clarification. So this was a two-part process. It was about cleaning up some of the issues that we've had over the, not only over the last four years, but over the last 15 or 20, maybe 30 years about the rules. Um, Yeah, it comes down to the votes. And I I think what we're working toward is um, convincing our colleagues that to have this co-equal branch of government that's more transparent and and independent is the way to go. And hopefully get those votes on um, the first meeting of the council. So if he makes tries to make changes in some of these key committee chairs, including yours or any of the others, he's going to lose is what you're saying. Uh, you know, I think if we look, if, if there's the votes, you know, we need 26 to uh, set that resolution up and make changes to the rules. So yes, they could end up doing that. Um, but again, I think it just undermines the, uh, drive for independence that everybody in this city has been asking for. So do you think he would lose or do you think it would just undermine the drive for independence and he would win it? Well, there's a lot of other issues on the table. I mean, you just brought up one of what happened this past weekend with the police, um, you know, and what kind of summer we're going to see. You have a transition team that's coming into place that needs to get a lot of work done. You have to, basically deal with 50 um, different agencies and the issues that they're going through as well as departments. So um, if I were mayor, I'd really be focused on those issues and making sure that um, I'm ready to start off on a, uh, on the front foot and uh, probably leave this alone based on what was said during the runoff that um, there didn't need to be intervention by the mayor's office. Lori Lightfoot start at, started off on the wrong foot with the city council. We all remember that. The, she used her inaugural address to denounce the council as corrupt, literally turned around and shamed Alderman into joining her in the audience in a standing ovation for reform, rushed back to City Hall to sign an executive order stripping Alderman of their prerogative over li- licensing and permitting. Johnson would be making a similar mistake, you think, if he were to pick a fight with the council on day one? I've, I've heard that from some people, and I don't think anybody wants to have that kind of fight. Um, I think we're all working to make sure that the city can move forward. But yeah, I think if you're, if you're looking at just spending your time on uh, undermining, you know, the, the independence effort and the co-equal branch effort uh, that the council has undertaken for the first time ever, um, you know, it's, it's not starting off on a good foot. 
And I, I don't think anybody wants to fight. We all want a city that's working in a better way every day and improving the status of, you know, all of our citizens and our businesses. And so I, I really think that focusing on those other issues coming out of the box, ready to tackle the public safety issues that we have, the um, post pandemic issues and hospitality and the different industries that basically fund our budgets. That's, that's really what we need to focus on. This new city council will have more women, more socialists and progressives, more Hispanics, a record 14, nine LGBTQ aldermen, same number of African-Americans, 20. Brandon Johnson is going to lead it all. He is the most progressive mayor Chicago has ever had. How do you expect this all to play out in what gets done here? Well, I think uh, people are going to be fighting for their constituents and um, their businesses and their neighborhoods. The The neighborhoods in this city uh, need to see a resurgence. They uh, are coming out of a pandemic that really um, each neighborhood really took a hit. And so I think people, you know, we can focus on a lot of the social issues and we should, um, I think there's going to be a lot of change, not only here, but throughout the United States. But at the same time, we have to make sure that we get the constituent services done, that we're helping people, you know, come out of the pandemic, um, and not only survive, but do things in a better way. And I think when you look at the city council and you talk to people, that's really what a lot of uh, folks in the council want to see. Um, I've talked to a lot of the new members. I've gone through orientation with them. You know, we, we talked about uh, everything from here's how you set up your office and here's how you can communicate with people to a lot of the ethics issues that they're going to run into. Um, but really what it boils down to is um, making sure that they're serving their constituents and, um, to do that, you do have to work with the mayor to make sure that all of the departments and all the agencies that are at the that you know work at the behest of the mayor are working for everybody out in the neighborhood. Whenever a new mayor takes office, there's a playbook that says decry the massive deficit you inherited, raise taxes right away, and blame your predecessor. But this week, Lori Lightfoot tried to alter that script. On the same day that Johnson traveled to Springfield to make the case for more revenue, Lightfoot told the executives club that her successor will need less of it. She released a mid-year budget forecast that's claimed that Chicago has a record low shortfall of $85 million, a historic low, and that it will end this year with a huge surplus and and last year also and we'll have something like a something like a 700 million dollar surplus to apply to pensions so long as johnson does that and also keeps the property tax escalator in place this really ties his hands does it make does it undermine the new mayor's case for 800 million dollars in new tax increases including a, a head tax and a financial transaction tax and a real estate transfer tax and uh all kinds of other taxes to try to you know fund his his uh, his violence reduction plan and all the social investments he wants. 
Oh, I don't think it undermines him. I think, you know, if he still wants to move forward on those plans, uh, he certainly should present them to the city council and to the public um, and let the public, you know, decide what is going to happen with that. I, I feel confident that the work that we've done with the finances over the last four years have really contributed to, you know, a reduction in, in our, um, our finances in terms of the city's debt load. If um, there is a surplus and, you know, we have to kind of wait till the budget season comes around a little bit closer. I think this mid year is fantastic news, um, but I don't think it ties his hands. I think what, um, what we need to do is be careful about how we spend that money. But again, you know, the mayor's uh, mayor Lightfoot's efforts to pay forward on the pensions and, and reduce that burden on the taxpayers is pretty incredible, you know, and, and look at the rating increases that we've had. We've had, I think 13 um, rating increases. We've got three positive outlooks coming. I've been speaking to a lot of the different, um, uh, you know, quarters of the business community and rating agency people. And they are somewhat happier in terms of what we've been doing to try to reduce the burden on taxpayers and, and make these contributions to the pensions of the people that work for the city. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're a pensioner and you see that we've been trying to pay forward and reducing the burden that would come through, um, you know, on further increases, I think, I think taxpayers look at that and say, Hey, this, this is a good direction to grow, go, but it doesn't stop him from, uh, going forward with his, we'll call it the $800 million plan that he presented in the, um, in the races. So I, I feel pretty confident, you know, we've had some, uh, some great successes in this, uh, series of votes that we've had on everything from the Joliet water supply contract. We voted on the amended agreement this week. We will have um, tens of millions of dollars coming in from that. I think 30 million. And um, we've that's also for the had, water system only. It's got to stay well, in the water system. Yeah. And that's one thing I think people, but if regardless of whether it stays in there or not, it shows stability within the system and that helps with your rating increases and, or your rate increases, the, um, your interest that you have to pay goes down. When, when we have these positive outlooks and these, um, these positive ratings, you know, we are now saving, I believe it's a hundred million dollars per billion that we borrow. And to run a city, you have to borrow money. And if we're saving a hundred million on each billion borrowed, you know, that's, that's incredible for taxpayers. So um, I'm not, I would never say that um, somebody shouldn't put forward a budget or a series of taxes that they uh, want, but they have to convince um, taxpayers that those are good things to move forward on. Would you support reinstating the head tax, which is despised by the business community, got rid of it after years of complaints? Would you support raising the real estate transfer tax on high-end home sales? He calls it a mansion tax. Would you support imposing taxes on jet fuel and hotel rooms on an industry that hasn't really fully recovered yet or financial transactions or a well, tax on high-end commercial districts frequented by the wealthy suburbanites, tourists, and business travelers to the tune of $100 million. Which of those would you support? 
Well, I don't think any of these have really been um, in, in terms of what the candidate has said. There really isn't um, much in terms of details on them. When you when you look at the head tax, a lot of us voted to phase that out because it was detrimental to bringing business to this city, and that's been proven. When you look at the FTT, the financial transaction tax, you know we've had hearings in the committee on finance while I was chair, and talked to those people, and we saw the same thing happen in New Jersey. Um, New one of you know New Jersey voted to in New Jersey they voted to um, implement an FTT, and because of the cloud, especially post pandemic, people you know you can pick up the servers or you, you're you're on the cloud and you just um, move your headquarters to another location. So there's some there's some uh, I think serious issues there in terms of technology that have to be considered. Um, when you look at the uh, hotel industry, you can't just go in and tax an industry that's been suffering through the pandemic and is barely recovering. And, you know, as well as the entertainment industry and say, hey, we're just going to hit you with additional taxes, despite the fact that you're barely surviving coming out of the pandemic. So I think a lot of these discussions need to be had. I wouldn't say today that I would would vote for them. Um, because nobody's really seen any details on how that would work. And when you look at a jet fuel tax, um, I think the first concern you have to have there, we just talked about the water system. The water system is an enterprise fund. The uh, airports are run as part of an enterprise fund. Yeah. And those are federal regulations. Those are federal funds coming in. And the feds would look at that and most likely say, you can't just start taking money out of enterprise funds to, um, you know, basically move around the city wherever you want. And so you've got to be very careful about following the federal state or other guidelines, the um, bond documents that are in place that you committed to as a city. Um, And you just can't break those things open overnight and say, we're done doing that. Um, That leads to downgrades that leads to serious uh, legal problems, I think, on the on the federal level, and probably a slew of other issues that would would be pretty problematic um, for somebody just to say we're going to break those open. So you're saying that he's going to run into political resistance, number one, and legal resistance too, on these well, I would say on many legal of these resistance. Items. Well, I would say legal resistance, number one, on issues like enterprise funds. Um, but yeah, there's probably and political, political resistance issues. on. Yeah, yeah, if you look at the hotel industry, if you look at the um, uh, entertainment industry or, or hospitality, our our bars, our restaurants, they are struggling uh, mightily trying to get people not only customers back in but staff to work in those places. And in uh, during the pandemic and post pandemic, just anywhere in the United States. Uh, a lot of these industries are suffering and to hit them with another tax would probably send a lot of them into bankruptcy or worse, just, you know, walk away. And I think we have to be treading carefully when we do that. So again, I don't think it's an issue to bring forward good ideas or ideas that need to be vetted, but we have to be very transparent and open about the impact that it could have on different industries within the city and statewide. 
And as far as cutting the police budget by $150 million, now he's saying he won't cut it totally, you know, by a penny. He'll invest that money back into the police department. But he wants to get rid of ShotSpotter. He wants to get uh, close the home and square facility. He wants to streamline the number of non-sergeant police supervisors. He wants to abolish the gang database. Can you go along with any of that? He wants to promote 200 more detectives without saying that he's going to replace them as patrol officers. Well, you, is think, that going to be a problem too? Well, I think there are things that we need to do. We need to, um, revise the gang database. I don't think we need to do away with it completely. We do have to have more detectives, absolutely. And we have to have detectives working efficiently to uh, not just close out cases, but find who the perpetrators are in a lot of these um, cases that might be going cold or or languishing. So I agree that we need more detectives. I think what uh, a lot of us would like to see too is um, really reining in the overtime, uh, some of the other expenditures that haven't really been focused on. A new superintendent in the department working with the mayor's office could do that, you know, and the council could review it and say, hey, you know, we've been looking at this for a long time. How can we fix this? Overtime, as you've reported on many times, you know what those numbers are, and it's it's frankly too high for a city of our size to sustain that. Um, but we also want to see new officers coming in. And I think we'd all agree on this um, at the council level, at the mayor's level, that we need better trained officers coming in the front door um, on a lot of different issues so that they're working with the community in a better way. And especially uh, receiving that CIT training or the crisis intervention training for a lot of the mental health issues that people are suffering through. And including what officers. What about I mean, what about ShotSpotter and getting, getting I, rid of it? I found that ShotSpotter worked in our districts and uh, in our area, so we haven't had an issue with that. Um, but I think it's fine to review it and see what types of changes can be made to the contract. But you don't want to get rid of it. You think it's a tool, a valuable one. Yeah, I think if you're using technology, uh, technology doesn't replace a good officer on foot, but it does complement when it works the right way. And I know that there's been issues with it, but that's something that um, the new superintendent and their team could work with to, uh, to figure that out. In his first hundred days, Johnson says he wants to pass the treatment, not trauma alternate response expansion. He wants to pass the bring Chicago home ordinance, raising the real estate transfer tax for homelessness. He wants to reopen the six mental health clinics shuttered by Rahm Emanuel, and he wants to double use jobs and make them year round. Is that going to happen? Is that too ambitious? In the first hundred days? Um, well, I think, you know, certainly some of these things would require votes. Um, I think doubling the youth involvement and places that they can go to certainly would be helpful. Um, I thought Mayor Lightfoot did an incredible job making sure that um, we funded a lot of the uh, youth opportunities through We Will Chicago. Um, I didn't see an issue there with spending tens of millions of dollars to make sure that uh, there were opportunities for kids throughout the city, both in business and in not-for-profits and city employment, but there can always be more of that on the table. Um, 
I have not seen any data that would require us to reopen the six mental health clinics. Um, we have certainly spent tens of millions um, making sure that people have access to facilities throughout the neighborhoods. I know that the Department of uh, Public Health has really invested in um, not only FQHCs, but you know, going back and fixing some of the buildings that are city buildings that already exist. And I know that Dr. Arwadi, who I, I know is on the chopping block, um, her and her staff that deal with the mental health crisis uh, prior to the pandemic, during the pandemic and post-pandemic, um, really focused a lot of their efforts during this period on uh, mental health issues and tried to, you know, use everything from uh, the federal COVID funds to city funds to really um, try to help people. And, you know, one of the things there, you, you know, you brought up the police officers, um, I think in reporting too, we need to make sure our officers aren't only trained in how to deal with crisis intervention and, um, and trauma that they're meeting people out on the street there with, but they also need help too. And we've, seen an unfortunate increase in the number of suicides of police officers. And I think we really need to make sure that we're focused on um, continuing to build up those spaces that the officers can go to in the districts. Um, you you, you stuck with Mayor Lightfoot throughout uh, before she finished third and, and lost her and became the first mayor elected mayor in 40 years not to win a second term. Why do you think she lost? Your ward well, went for Vallis both times. Yeah, I I think, uh, number one, nobody has experienced a pandemic um, in the last 100 years. I mean, the last one was obviously the turn of the last century. That put it so much strain on government, both at, uh, you know, at all different levels, but it is at the city level that um, you feel the most impact because the city is the the government that is on hands with with everybody. And I think um, she had to make some tough and very difficult decisions throughout the pandemic that didn't make people happy. I mean, everything from, um, you know, closing certain areas to uh, restaurants to dealing with police officers and firemen in a way that was very unpopular. And that really led to, I think, a lot of um, dissent with people. But, um, you know, she tried to do it in a, in a tough manner that, you know, perhaps turned some people off. But again, I, uh, I stuck with it because I felt that a lot of the moves she's made um, aside from the pandemic moves that we really had to commit to were progressive values. Um, and I also felt that our finance team was incredible and the moves she was making on the finance team and the decisions we made were helpful to the city, as we can see by this potential surplus in the budget, the reduced budget gap, but also by the ratings. And so I thought there were good decisions being made throughout that really helped the city, but not always in agreement with her on things. And, you know, those, those were decisions that, um, 
uh, were very difficult, but I would say the other big issue that, you know, you're, you might bring up is the crime issue. And that that's where people um, I've seen coming out of this pandemic, you know, the types of crimes that we're seeing are uh, pretty incredible. The stuff that we're seeing downtown, the drag racing, the drifting, a lot of uh, really just, you know, a criminal or semi-criminal activity that the police themselves cannot deal with. And it's a, it's a breakdown of, of certain elements of society that even the mayor couldn't control, but that's um, the heart if of it. If she I think, had was, dumped David Brown, would she have been mayor today? Would she be, re- have been reelected? Well, a lot of us were upset that she did keep David Brown around. Um, I think he made some critically critical errors and, critically bad moves, but, um, I think she was trying to show confidence and, and strengthen the department and the leadership there. But yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. And you told her, get rid of him. I did. I was public about that, that, um, uh, over a year ago. What did she say? What did she say? Uh, I think there, I, I think they were just trying to get through a period with him that, um, they wanted to have consistency and, and um, show that they had leadership at the top. But at the same time, I think um, it was a big mistake. And I would have looked for somebody who was internal to the department. Uh, as we talked about at the beginning of this, I think there's good leaders there. They just need to be honed. They need to be um, kind of brought to the forefront and, you know, have continued leadership training and, um, and, at the same time, make sure they can take the helm, whether it's this year, next year, five or 10 years from now, you have to build that up within that department, that department, just like every other department so that there's institutional knowledge, institutional experience, but also um, have those people be able a pipeline, right. Um, And be able to take over at the top at a moment's notice. And maybe even a leadership academy, you know, to train them yeah, to get absolutely. create that pipeline. And, yeah. yeah, Scott Wegg is back. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. I appreciate you, it. Friend. Let's strap on your seatbelt and get ready and for I, a roller coaster, as we always have in Chicago politics. That's what makes it fun. Uh, I hope to see you back at City Hall. Okay, thank you so much, sir. Take care, and we will see you all next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.